Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. You know, there are times in our lives we'd probably like to just withdraw. You know, just kind of like slip away, find a solitary place where no one can find us, and just kind of like stay there. Any of you ever had those moments? It's kind of like this morning. I just like put the covers over my head and I said, I'm just staying here this morning. Why would I want to go out on my birthday? Why would I want to do that? There are times we'd just like to get away. Sometimes we're just tired. I, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I'm just like tired. I, it seems like the busyness of the day, the busyness of the work and all the things like that, they just... They're just kind of pushing me to a retreat. They're pushing me to a place where I can just stop and maybe enjoy some quietness, some silence, just to be away. You know, when I look at Mark chapter 6, I recognize that Jesus comes to this point in his life as well. Now think of this. Jesus, the eternal God, but now who is there, the eternal God in flesh, he, he is subject to... All of these human limitations, he's subject to getting tired, he's subject to growing weary. And as a matter of fact, there are moments where he just decides, and in really Mark chapter 6, he just says, I got, I got to get away. I've got to go into the wilderness, I've got to go into the desert where nobody is there. Let, let's, just, let's just get away. He brings his disciples with him for this retreat. There is this moment in ministry where Jesus begins to withdraw intentionally to teach his disciples, but also to rest and to find some type of solitude. Well, in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, 31, and really in 32, you'll see that he takes his disciples and he will lead them to the other side of the sea. The only problem is that people see him. They see him leaving. What do they do? They follow him. I think about this. When I was down at Zachary, First Baptist Zachary, my office would um, abut this little back alley, okay? So the back alley actually came around from a door in the choir room. So what I could do, I learned what I could do, is if I got through the choir room very quickly and got out the back door, I could get away without anybody seeing me. Does that sound bad? It was kind of one of those things I could... I always parked in the back alley. It was shadowed. The stuff on... I just parked there. And I, would, I could just... I'm thinking about Jesus here. He's like, where is my back door? Because he gets in the boat. He starts across the sea. And what happens? That's where we pick up in verse 33. It says, But the multitudes saw them departing. So in other words, all the crowds that had been with Jesus, those who had heard him... Uh, teaching those who had seen his miracles, they saw Jesus going across the sea, and he, they saw his disciples. So what did they do? They followed. Verse 33 again says, And many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them, and came together to him. So word began to spread that Jesus had gone out to the desert. He had gone out to the wilderness area on the other side of the sea. And there were all these people from the different villages, 
from Bethsaida, from uh, Capernaum, from Chorazin, they all began to merge into this one deserted, solid, well, it was solitary before they got there, into this one wilderness area to see Jesus. So let's just note how this story kind of works out. It says, they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, was so angry that all these people had shown up and blown his vacation and his retreat. No. I, I kind of wish that's what it had said. For a moment, I think I would have felt better about myself, huh? Because again, think, there are times when you've got to withdraw, you've got to get away. And that time when you get away, it seems like somebody finds you. You've been there before? You've been like, hey, I thought I was, I thought I was away from all of, the, all of the busyness of life. Look, I can't say that I should have expectations from getting away from the busyness of life when I go to Disney World. Because Disney World is all about busyness, right? But it's amazing how you can be at Disney World and look up and there's somebody. <laughs> Isn't it? And like, I mean, you, you've just gotten off this great ride. And I mean, you've just been going through the exhilaration of that. And you walk into somebody, boom. And look, while I'm always open to conversation, I think you know that by now. And I'm always open to different things. I'm not sure I can discuss theological issues on the teapots or the teacups. <laughs> sorry, teacups. I'm not sure I can talk about those things real well, right? I'm kind of like focused on the teacup. I I'm, don't want to talk about all the doctrinal stuff. So you would think, okay, Jesus, he's in the desert. He's withdrawn. Jesus is not about having theological conversations. Well, you're wrong. Look at what verse 34 says. When he came out and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Jesus sees these folks. And there are thousands of them. If you read on, you'll find out there are thousands of them gathering. And Jesus looks at all of these folks. Instead of looking at them as a nuisance or a hindrance, He recognizes these people are searching for something. They're searching for leadership. They're, they're searching for some type of meaning in life. They're searching for something that is so much better. They're searching for hope itself. And it says, so He began to teach them many things. Jesus saw them, he was moved with compassion, and he began to just simply teach them. Let's continue the story. Verse 35, you've got to love the way this unfolds. When the, days was now, the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread... For they have nothing to eat. So the disciples, they're all about the practical ministry, the, the practical areas of life. And they begin looking at these thousands of people. And they're kind of like, hey Jesus, I know that you called an impromptu-like convention here. But this convention center does not have a food court. You're not going to find food out here for all of these people in the desert 
in the wilderness. You're not going to find the food. So you need to go ahead and you need to send them away. They didn't come prepared. They did not know that you were going to be a long-winded preacher like this. They did not know that you were going to preach past lunch and keep on going till dinner. They didn't come prepared. Send them away. They need to go back to Bethsaida. They need to go back to Capernaum. They need to go back to Chorazine. They need to go back to the villages to find something to eat. Now listen, there is nothing about trying to make sure you got enough to eat. Nothing wrong with trying to make sure you got enough to eat, right? You want to be fed. And the disciples, they're just practically minded. They want to make sure that everybody is fed. Let me stop here though a moment. They're in the midst of the presence of Jesus. And this is not like their first time to be with Jesus. I mean, they've been following him over the last few weeks. We've talked about some of his power like over nature and over disease and just over everything. We, we have seen Jesus be able to work in people's lives and bring forth miracles. So why in the world would the disciples not recognize the power of Jesus... And recognize that he could feed these people if he wanted to. Why, why did he not? Why did they not recognize that about him? The same reason we don't recognize that. Because in reality, God does all kinds of things for us and before us. Right? How many times has he taken care of us and he provided for us and he worked some in miraculous way? Maybe he brought healing to our family. Maybe we've seen his power over disease. We've seen his... How, look, as believers, we've seen His power over sin, death, hell, and the grave itself. He has saved us. We have life. Why would we not realize that He has the power to provide for our daily sustenance? Our faith often fails in these areas. And so, before we beat up these disciples too much, let's recognize that we often fail in our faith as well. Well... They have nothing to eat. Send them into the villages. Verse 37. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. So Jesus looks at them. Hey, go feed them. Go feed them. Go take care of them. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He said, The disciples looking. You can tell they're Baptists here because they said, what are you talking about? 200, we haven't got any money. And if we did, if we had that much, 200 denarii, we'd go out, we'd buy enough bread. That's enough bread for, let's say, that's eight months wages of bread. That's a lot of bread, right, Miss Glenda? That's a lot of bread. He said, but even if we could, how are we going to feed all of these people? There are thousands of folks. Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, I don't know exactly how all this occurred, but Jesus said, go find out if anybody's got any food. Now, I, again, I don't know exactly how this happened, but can, can you see the disciples dispersing into the multitude? Hey, anybody got some lunch? Jesus needs a lunch. Anybody? Food. Anybody got anything? Yeah, you can see some of them, they're kind of pulling back a little bit. I don't want him, I mean, what's he going to do with my food? They begin to hide maybe a little bit here and there. And 
Come on, we'll just food. Do you know the blessing of a lunch for Jesus? I don't know if Judas would have stepped up and said, if you'll give us a lunch for Jesus, you'll sow a seed, you'll see a hundredfold blessing. <laughs> they just go out and they say, anybody got some lunch for Jesus? Well, John, in the Gospel of John, and remember, this miracle is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. But in the Gospel of John, it says that this little lad, this unnamed little lad, comes up with his lunch. And he offers it to Jesus. This, this little lad, unnamed, all of history, we've heard about him, we don't know anything except he was there willing and ready to give his lunch to Jesus. And it says that he had five loaves. John tells us there are five barley loaves. What does that matter? Well, barley, and that kind of barley loaf of bread, that would indicate that the person was very poor. Not loaves made out of wheat, but loaves made out of barley. So this, this little guy who had packed, no, no, his mama had packed his lunch, right? Had sent him off with these loaves, these little thin loaves, and the little fish. The fish would have been like dried, salted, kind of remind you a little bit of sardines. Anybody ever heard of sardines? I, I kind of I grew up eating sardines. When we went fishing out, we'd eat sardines. One of the last times I was down in Nicaragua for the medical mission trip, praise the Lord, I had some sardines on me. He's, he's got some stuff like that. Now, I don't, again, he was poor and he brought that. I, I was trying to think through this. You know, that would have been good, but I also wish that she had packed a little Debbie for him. You know, when it was... <laughs> outside of Leslie, little Debbie's the only woman that's never let me down in life, I think. But, you know, she's got the, he's got this lunch, five loaves, two fishes. What's Jesus going to do with such a little amount? What's Jesus going to... I mean, there are thousands again, multitudes, people everywhere. Verse 39, then he commanded them to make them all sit down. Literally, it means tell them to recline. Tell them to rest in groups on the green grass. Obviously, it's springtime, especially in the desert. There's springtime as there's green grass. And they sat down. Literally, it means they fell down. So the people have been listening. They're exhausted. He says, it's time for you to rest. They fall down around. The scripture says they sat down in ranks. Herschel Hobbes, who does some study on that term ranks, means it's something like a, um, a, a garden bed. Like a bed of flowers, if you look at it. So... I've got this picture. Can you, can you join me there just for a moment? And you're looking out at this multitude. And they're all dressed in multicolored clothing. They're sitting down on the grass. And it looks like just groups of gardens. Right? you just picturesque. No, you're not there with me. Work, work with me. Just imagine how illustrative it is. 
to see all these people in their different little gardens just sitting out there, just waiting for Jesus to do something. They sit down in hundreds and in fifties. And when, they had taken, when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed, broke the loaves. It literally means that he completely did this. And when he did it, he gave them to his disciples to set before them. The verbs there means that he decisively broke the bread and then he gave it in an ongoing fashion to his disciples and they continued and continued and continued and continued to set forth that food in front of the multitude. So this one act of blessing and breaking and all of a sudden you have the continuous act of distribution. I mean, could you imagine what this must have been like? When you're standing there by Jesus and he's handing you bread and he keeps handing you bread and he keeps handing you bread and it's like the bread is multiplying that Jesus is doing something by providing from the bread and the fish for all of this crowd. He divided it among them all and so they all ate and were filled. Oh, it's good to be full, right? It's good. Well, when I was growing up, my granny would say something like, Have you had enough? And I'd say, I'm full. She'd say, No. You are satisfied. You are satisfied. And I hear my granny here saying that all these folks, they had eaten and they had eaten, and they were satisfied. They were satisfied. The scripture says, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten, the loaves were about 5,000 men. Through the story, through the story, we're reminded how Jesus is in charge, how he is sovereign, how he is taking care of this great multitude. 5,000 men. It's been pointed out time and time again that there were 5,000 men... And then there were women and children. Could you, again, imagine this great multitude of people that Jesus just fed? It's a great story, right? It's a wonderful story. But what I want to always remind you is when you come to the Scripture and you hear those stories, they're real. It's not some mythical storytelling kind of process that we're involved here. This is a real story. Jesus really took the loaves, he took the fish, and he multiplied them and fed 5,000 plus people. Jesus did that. So, what did I say last week? That he is not just the God of then, he is still the God of now. So if he is the one who was, if he was able to feed 5,000 plus then in some miraculous way, guess what? God is still in the business of taking care of his people. He still has the power to provide. So that's really the two implications. If you want to call them the two truths, I just want to give you this morning. Some of you say, oh my goodness, you just now starting on two truths? We're never going to get out of here. No, it's very simple, these two truths. And that is that Jesus provides. He provides for us physically and he provides for us spiritually. 
That's what this story teaches us, that he can provide for us physically and he can provide for us spiritually. In other words, he can curb our hunger. He can satisfy us physically. And Jesus is concerned about that. Don't miss it. Jesus loved these people. He was moved with compassion. He loved these folks. And when he multiplied the food, he wanted to make sure that he had touched each one's life and he had provided for them physically. Our God cares about us. He cares about who we are and what we need in life. And I believe this. Our Jesus always provides our needs. Now, I did not say he provides our greeds. There are a lot of us that have a lot of greeds in life. And we get aggravated at Jesus for not providing our greeds. But I will tell you that Jesus will always provide our needs. He will always be there. He has the power to do that. He has the power to work in our lives and to take whatever we have or even whatever somebody else has. He has, he has the power to take a little and to make it a lot. To multiply it. Again, the little lad, the little unnamed boy, he came and he was available with his lunch to Jesus and Jesus took his availability and he multiplied it into such a wonderful miracle that could only be accomplished by him. And Jesus continues to do that. And sometimes he'll use the anonymous. Some years ago, I heard a preacher preaching on the passage and he talked about the army of the anonymous and how through the history of the church, God had always, always used people, but especially those that are unnamed to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Oh yeah, I know there are some that we call church fathers and we see historians, but I want you to think about it for a moment. Of all those people that in some sense are still unnamed in church history, and yet they made a difference every day for the kingdom. God took their little and he made it much. Those of us in this place, we may not have our names remembered in Christendom, but I will tell you that God can still take our little and he can make it much. He can use us to impact the kingdom daily. And he can provide for us Physically, he gives us what we need. I want you to hear that over and over. There have been moments, especially since I've been here, that I have seen people who have lost their jobs, who are trying to transition in other areas, and I have prayed with them. I've, I've sought the Lord's wisdom and work in that. And over and over again, I've been reminded that he still provides for us physically. It wasn't always the way I thought it should be, especially when I pray for people to stay in rested. It wasn't always exactly in the timing that I thought it would be. Sometimes it took months. But Jesus knows how to provide. And He does it still. Let me call your attention to something about this providing physically. Notice it says they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. 12 baskets full. 
The significance? Well, there are 12 disciples. And I know you've got to be careful about reading into numbers and the Scripture and all that, but hey, 12 baskets seem to correspond to 12 disciples. Seems logical to me. And if you understand the Jewish culture, if you are the one serving, then oftentimes you are the one who would receive the leftovers, if there were leftovers. So the disciples had gone out serving. They go around with the baskets, each one of them, and they gather up the food. Now these were little baskets that most Jews would take with them to make sure that they had lunch or whatever else. Obviously not many people brought their baskets that day, but usually that would be the case. So each disciple has a basket. I don't know, maybe, maybe they kept the basket. I hope they did. Because every time they were to see that basket, they were to be reminded that Jesus has the power to provide. Every time. I love it. See, Peter, I think, was talking to Mark here, and Peter was the one that was giving Mark the eyewitness account as Mark was writing down this gospel under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And and I don't know, but I'm thinking Peter's like, hey, man, I took that basket away from there. Oh, Mark, let me tell you, I still got that basket. That basket that I still look to and am reminded every time that God provides. It was a visible reminder. You got any baskets in your life? Amen. You got anything like some visible, tangible things that you can look at and say, you know what, I just, that's a reminder that God provides. I hope you do. When God provides and when He takes care of certain things, not that you have something that you worship, but it's something that reminds you of the one who you should worship. A visible reminder. Every time you look at it, say, hey, I thought I wasn't going to make it through that. And there's the visible reminder that I did through God's grace. And every now and then, hey, can you agree with me this morning? Every now and then we have to pick up a basket and be reminded. Because sometimes our faith will fail, just like I talked about earlier. Sometimes our faith will fail. We'll do it. We're humans. But Jesus somehow will direct our eyes back to the basket. And we'll remember about that day when it seemed like there was no way that you would see such provision in your life. And God came through. Jesus fed the multitude. He cared for them physically. Hey, He provided for them physically. He also provided for them spiritually. Back to that verse 34 where it says that he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That phrase, sheep without a shepherd, used a couple times in the Old Testament in particular, Numbers 27, 17, Ezekiel 34, 5. Numbers 27, 17, it's Moses speaking to the Lord about who's going to succeed him, the leader that will come. And he prays. He's asking God to provide for the people that individual that would be there, that would lead them and guide them. He did not want to see the people of Israel. 
He did not want to see them to be like sheep without a shepherd. He wanted them to have guidance. And what did God do? He provided Joshua. Joshua to follow Moses. Jesus, remember, in the Hebrew, Jesus' name is what? Joshua. He is the one that has been provided. Ezekiel 34, 5, when it talks about the shepherd, God himself is the shepherd. If you look at Ezekiel's message, but it also speaks about the shepherd that will come in the line of David, the Messiah. So here's Jesus looking out. He is coming. He recognizes these people are scattered. They need help. They need direction. He knows that he's come. Oh, that leader that they have there in the palace, oh, Herod Antipas, he's not a leader. If you were to go back and read Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, you'll see this great party that Herod Antipas throws for his, for his birthday. He throws this great party and Herodias is there and his, her daughter dances and John the Baptist is beheaded. You go look at all that stuff. That's what kind of leader they have in the palace. And Jesus comes in the midst of this. He sees the people that are, that are going through difficulty every day while their leader sits in the palace and has such feasts. And such immoral goings on. Jesus looks at them and he is broken because he knows that they need something better. And he knows they need a Messiah. You can't miss, you can't miss all of the similarities between Jesus and Moses in this passage. Jesus goes out to the wilderness. Jesus feeds the people. He takes care of them. It's kind of like manna, the bread that he gives them. Even the language of the organizing of the crowd is reminiscent of the way Moses organized the people of God. So listen to this spiritually. Because this passage reminds us that Jesus provides for us spiritually. What this passage is reminding us is that Jesus is the new deliverer. He is the new king. He is the one who has come. And he is the one that will make a difference for the kingdom of God. He is the new Moses. But he is greater than the old Moses. He is one who has come to deliver the people from bondage. But not physical bondage. He has come to provide for them freedom from the spiritual bondage that they have. He is to be the shepherd of the sheep. Because he has provided and hallelujah how he continues to provide for us spiritually. Amen. You and I were lost in our sins. Flailing around, nothing we could do about it. Nothing. Every day enslaved to our own desires to do what we want to do. But Jesus came and died on the cross of Calvary. Rose the third day. So that you and I, through faith, could have true life and forgiveness and freedom. And I want you to hear this today. He has provided that for all of us. He has offered that to us. If we would come and accept Him and trust Him. He has provided all the necessary sacrifice. If we would come and give our lives to Him.
He's provided for us spiritually. And he has provided for us physically. And when you go out these doors as believers, you tell them. You tell everybody you come in contact with. You tell this community. You tell everybody, all your friends, all the schoolmates, everybody you come in contact. You tell them that your God provides. He provides physically and He provides spiritually. Don't doubt it. Have the assurance and confidence of Christ Jesus our Lord. Go out and let it be known because there are so many today that just need to hear that He provides. May we be the people. Who would carry that message? David, let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for reminding us that you provide for us. And God, every one of us in here that we've experienced such blessing. God, every physical gift we have, Lord, it's from you. And we're thankful. Lord, we're grateful. God, this morning, there are some of us in this place, though, that are struggling. We, we don't want certain people to know. We wouldn't verbalize it in this way. But, Lord, you know. You see our hearts better than we can see it ourselves. And you know we're struggling physically. God, I pray that you would use this story and this message to confirm our faith in you. And, and God, for those of us, again... For those of us in this place that are struggling spiritually, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of how you have provided Jesus, your son, for us. And I pray our soul would rest in you. And just as we give our soul to you to keep, Lord, we pray that we give our daily lives to you to keep, to provide. We ask it now.